Welcome to the St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows podcast channel. The sermon you are about to hear is from our worship service on February 5th, 2023. For more information about the community and ministries of St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows, you can visit our website, smlutheran.org. There you will find the full online worship service from which this sermon is taken. And if you would like to give gifts to help sustain the ministries here at St. Mark's, you'll find information on how to do that there as well. And now, here's Pastor Mark Gravrock with the Gospel reading. Today's Gospel reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, says Jesus. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under the bushel basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I decided to know nothing. That's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, and in particular, the crucified Jesus Christ. Nothing? Really? Paul, it's obvious that you know all kinds of stuff. To start with, you obviously know Jesus Christ resurrected. In this same letter, you spend a whole chapter talking about the resurrection and saying how without the resurrection, our faith is hopeless. Only Jesus Christ crucified? And then you surely know about Jesus' life and ministry and how important all of that is. And beyond that, Paul, it's obvious that your knowledge is vast. You know the Hebrew Scriptures backward and forward. You know Greek, Greek and Hellenistic philosophy. You know the culture of the Greco-Roman world. You know you're skilled in the tools of rhetoric. And you know people and how to work with them. Paul, you are pretty darn smart. Okay, granted. You've got an argument going on here with these folks in Corinth. An argument over wisdom and special knowledge and flashy rhetorical skills, and you're clearly out to undercut their highfalutin ways. Even so, you've decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ crucified? Nothing? I should tell you that this passage from Paul became important to me way back in college days. It has shaped my whole life and ministry. And it keeps returning to me in new ways and in new, new seasons with new surprises each time. And so when I looked to see what the scripture readings were for today, I really wasn't surprised to see 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, show up once again, almost as if God had something to remind me as I begin serving with you. Still, as important as this verse has been for me, it doesn't really mean that I understand it yet. What does it mean to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified? I know all kinds of stuff. Some of it is even useful. And we, we here at St. Mark's, we know all kinds of stuff. We gather here with a wealth of individual gifts and a wealth of shared skills and passions. 
Some of you have skills to build tiny houses. Some of you have wisdom and passion for engaging with a world that's hungry for justice. Some of you know how to teach kids. Some of you know how to write grants. Some of you sing or play bells. Some of you have the wisdom and love to keep this place in beautiful shape. And some of you know how to sit beside a person in grief. And then we join forces with people of goodwill in all, all throughout our community, some who name the name of Christ and some who do not, to get some pretty important stuff done. What does it mean to know nothing but Jesus Christ crucified? Well, I want to get at that question in kind of a roundabout way. I want to get there by way of today's gospel reading. And for that, I'm inviting one of Jesus' original disciples to join us here in the pulpit. Good morning. Yes, I was one of Jesus' early followers. My name is Matthew. Okay, hang on. I know you're moving into tax season. And yes, I was that Matthew, Matthew the tax collector. Give me a break. I'm a Jew, a Hebrew, just like the rest of Jesus' disciples. Most of my fellow Jews, however, were just disgusted with me because I was in their eyes a turncoat, a traitor, a collaborator with the hated Romans. I was one of those who gathered the taxes and tributes from my own people to turn them over to the Roman, Roman occupiers. So just imagine the tension in our little group of disciples when the rest of them looked on me with such disgust and even hatred and suspicion. I remember especially struggling with Simon, not Simon Peter, the other Simon, Simon the Zealot, Simon the freedom fighter, Simon the would-be assassin, Simon who if he met me in a crowded, crowded marketplace would just be happy to stick a knife in my back. That's Simon. Yeah, things were a little tense in our group of disciples. Just imagine if your fellowship included, included say, both Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Marjorie Taylor Greene in the same group. That's what it was like. But Jesus knew. He understood. He understood us all. He knew our hearts. Somehow he drew, to, drew us together into that one same confounding community together. There was just something about that look in Jesus' eye when he approached my tax booth, looked straight into my heart, and said, follow me. And I did. So, pretty early on, we're all up north in Capernaum by the sea. Jesus is starting to become well-known. The crowds are gathering from all over the place, from all over Galilee and surrounding lands, crowds mostly of ordinary folks. Crowds of artisans and common laborers. Crowds of the sick and the poor. Crowds that know the knee of Rome on their necks. Well, Jesus leads us out of town to a beautiful hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. I'd like you to imagine the scene. It's a gorgeous, sunny spring morning. The hills are still green. They haven't gone brown yet. The sky is blue. The lake is even bluer. There's a faint breeze in the air. And Jesus chooses a spot on the hillside where it forms a bit of a bowl, a natural sound system, if you will, so that the, all the people can hear his voice carry. He gathers this little band of us disciples around him, and all of the rest of the crowds gather around us all. And he speaks. He speaks to us disciples with all of that vast crowd listening in. There's a setup for you. Jesus starts off by calling God's blessing down on all kinds of people, 
hurting people, wounded people, hungry people, people yearning for justice and peace. It's that stuff that you've come to call the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who know their need of God. It doesn't take long for us to realize that Jesus is telling us, his hearers, his learners, about all of those folks who are listening in. He says, blessed are those folks gathered all around you. He's telling us how deeply God treasures them. And then it doesn't take much longer for us to realize that he includes us in that, in those lovely words as well, that we are all in this together, together in this embrace of God's love, and we're no different from them. Then comes the zinger. Jesus pauses. He looks intently at each one of us disciples, and he says, you are salt for the earth. You are the salt that preserves the earth and gives it flavor. I beg your pardon? And before I can even begin to take that one in, he follows it up with another. You are light for the world. Don't even try to hide it. You can't hide it any more than a city on a hill can be hid. Okay, first of all, this is just a little bit embarrassing. Just imagine that the whole world is listening in while Jesus tells you that he is giving you to the world as salt and light. How much does that put you on the spot? And, well, as I thought about it, some of the folks in those, in those crowds out there know me and know us all, know us too well. So I was a little surprised that some of them didn't just start snickering or even laughing out loud. They're the salt for the earth? They're light for the world? Are you kidding me? Jesus, what in the world do you mean? You know us. You know all my foibles. You know my sins. You know our petty squabbles. You know how hard it is for me to get along with Simon the Zealot and how much, well, I really hate him and he'd like to stick a knife in me. We are salt for the earth. We are light for the world. Yeah, right. And it's not even as though Jesus is calling us to somehow grow into being salt and light. No, it's not as though he's saying, I want you to become light for the world in me. No, he says, you are salt. You are light for the world. I don't get it, Lord. I am no different from anyone in that crowd. And for that matter, there are lots of folks in that crowd that are far more evolved than I am. Are you trying to say that somehow everyone is potentially the light of the world? I ask him that, and Jesus just gives us one of those enigmatic smiles that seems to say, I'm not talking about everybody. I'm talking about you. Now, sometime later on, we would hear Jesus say to another crowd, I am the light of the world. Well, that one made more sense to me, because Jesus, you surely are a light for me. It's taken a long time for me even to begin to understand what Jesus meant. That early day on the hillside above the lake, we really had no clue of who Jesus even was and what he was here for. We knew him as this amazing, loving, charismatic teacher and healer who gripped our lives and held us in wonder. But then whenever we try to figure out, who really are you, Jesus, and what are you here for? What are you up to? What's your program? We just ended up squabbling amongst ourselves. We knew nothing for a long time of that awful death that he was headed for. 
that death that he both feared and embraced. And we knew nothing of the Sunday surprise that was going to come afterwards. What we did know, what we did know, and what we tasted from the very beginning is that somehow this Jesus was drawing us together in the embrace of God. Little by little, we came to see and came to know in the depths of our being that Jesus is God's absolute, utter, eternal commitment to us and to this broken world of ours. When Jesus hung on the cross, when he cried out, the cry of everyone who feels abandoned by God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? That was Jesus' absolute commitment. It was God's absolute commitment to us in the heart of our brokenness. God's sharing and carrying all our wounds and all our wrongs from beginning to end. So here's the thing. Jesus tells us, you, my community, you are light for the world. You are salt to preserve and flavor the earth. It's not because you and I have grown to some spiritual maturity. In fact, we're no different at all from those crowds listening in. Here's the thing. You are light for the world, says Jesus, because I have called you. I have called you to be with me, to taste together in me, the deep embrace of a God who gives her own life for you. Because I am light, you together are light for the world. People who know firsthand and heart deep how deeply God commits himself to this hurting world. I've called you to a noble and thrilling calling. And yeah, there will be growing to do. There will be some practicing, and you're going to need to come back again and again and again to the source, to the one who is the light. You are light. In me, you are light. In me, you are salt. And in me, you will discover pockets of light and salt in places you would never expect. After all, I am the light of the world. And so I look around at all of those crowds ringing us on the Galilean hillside, healthy folks and sick folks, struggling folks and confused folks, folks of every stripe, young and old, zealots and turncoats, Democrats and Republicans. And I begin to catch a glimpse of the light of God's love, embracing the world in all our wonder and in all our brokenness, all the way to a cross. Let it shine, says Jesus. I decided to know nothing, Paul writes. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, and in particular, the crucified Jesus Christ. Nothing? Really? Yep, nothing else, even though we know lots of stuff. I decided to know nothing but the crucified Christ, because that is the heart of who our God is. God with us. God weak and wounded for us, for us and for the world, all the way to the end and through to the new beginning. Amen. <laughs>